I'm gonna show you how great I am. This was our final tower. I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Hello and welcome to How to Take Over the World. This is Ben Wilson. I've got an episode that I think you guys are going to love today. It's a conversation between me and Alex Petkus, who's the host of The Cost of Glory. He uh, he has a podcast that's pretty similar to mine, but it focuses more on the ancient Greeks and Romans. So we had a conversation where we talk about how he started his podcast, why he started his podcast, and, and also we talk a little bit about why biography is so important, uh, how it can motivate you to live a better life, and um, he has some really interesting stuff to say at the end how ancient Greeks were obsessed with finding and emulating their heroes. Uh, so I think you guys will love that part. Next week, I'll be back with a normal episode. Uh, this one's going to be about William Randolph Hearst, the famous newspaper man, billionaire, uh, art collector, uh, re- really interesting guy. I think you'll love next week's episode. But uh, this conversation with me and Alex can hopefully tide you over in the meantime. Of course, if you like this episode, make sure to go check out The Cost of Glory wherever you get your podcasts. And also, Alex is hosting a retreat. It's called the Speak Lead Retreat, and it's happening in Rome. So if you're interested in self-development, improving yourself, but also in Roman history and learning more about that from someone who's a real expert in Alex, uh, I I think you'd love it. So go check it out. Uh, You can find out more about that at ancientlifecoach.com. So with that said, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between me and Alex Peckis. So this is Alex Petkus, who's the host of my favorite podcast, other than How to Take Over the World, which is called The Cost of Glory. Uh, Alex, how are you doing? Great, Ben. Good to be here. I, I want to start off, uh, I-, I guess we'll just tell people that um, The Cost of Glory and How to Take Over the World are going to be partnering, and I'm going to be running some episodes of The Cost of Glory in my feed. I'll just tell people a little bit about why I'm doing that. Uh, it was amazing. Someone recommended your podcast to me. And it felt like I was hearing kindred spirit. I was like, whoa, someone else independently arrived at this idea. But you, your focus is a little bit different in that you focus on Plutarch's lives. Uh, I guess it's, it's kind of spooky that we ended up in the same place, right? How, uh, how did you come up with the idea for your podcast? Yeah, totally. I, I had a very similar experience when, uh, when we met and I, and I checked out your stuff. And I was like, dang, this guy's like totally like on the same wavelength. Uh, and, and, and I don't find that a lot, which, is, which kind of surprises me. So what I, I was an academic, uh, I was a classicist, a specialist in ancient Greek and Latin. And I left academia about two and a half years ago. And I was um, teaching a lot of ancient history my final year. And it kind of, you know, it was a process of me realizing I need to leave academia and I want to do something more, hopefully more ambitious with my life. But I was reading all of these Plutarch biographies because you you do when you teach ancient history classes a lot. It's like, like, like you'll teach a class on Roman history and the, the reading list will be maybe a bunch of inscriptions or some passages from a textbook. And then like a Plutarch biography. And Plutarch is an ancient historian. He, he, well, he's an ancient philosopher who also write wrote biographies, but he's looking back on earlier figures and, and he wrote all these great biographies. And, and often it's like the, the thing that students remember most from any class they take in ancient history is likely to be a Plutarch biography. And so I was reading a lot of these just to put together classes and, and, and also knowing that I was headed out and toward the business world. So I was, 
I was like struck at how different my experience was looking at these biographies being like headed toward practical life. And I was like, wow, these seem so relevant for what I'm about to do and what I'm already kind of doing on the side. So I, I, after a while, once I kind of got settled here in Houston, I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I could share this stuff with other people while sort of solidifying my knowledge of these biographies um, of great Romans and Greeks and kind of bring them back, bring them into an audio form and be inspiring for people trying to do hard things that are worthwhile, like they have been for centuries. I know this is a little bit like asking you to pick your favorite child, but which of these stories that you have done so far has captured your imagination the most? I'll say I'll answer in two ways. So the 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 two the two so Plutarch wrote, wrote this this text called the Parallel Lives, and he paired a single Greek and a single Roman, and and straight through he went through twenty five or so pairs, and he would pair them together on certain you know similarities. Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar are paired, Pompey and King Agesilaus of Sparta, and so and so on and so on. But so the first the the pair that kind of got me inspired was Sertorius and Eumenes, who are some of the most obscure of all Plutarch's heroes. And I was reading them like, like, ah, I got to get through all these to say that I've read all of them. But so you got to read these like boring guys. And then as I'm like paging through Sertorius's biography, I'm like, holy crap, this guy is incredible. And nobody really talks about him today. So I, I think these these underdogs, Sertorius and Eumenes are majorly underdog stories. Sertorius, the greatest Roman rebel, uh, who rises out of obscurity, is a country country boy. Eumenes of Cardia is um, this you know obscure Greek from a backwater who rises through the ranks in Alexander's military machine as a secretary. He's a pencil pusher, and then he ends up becoming this warlord. Not just that, he like fights people like. It's like hand-to-hand combat and some interesting scenes. So those guys really capture me a lot. I think the the biography of Sulla probably, which is the one that I did most recently, is the most in a way, I I'm I'm very fond of Sulla because he was able to change my mind about him as I worked on him. Because he's he's this famous villain in a lot of Roman history. Sulla is from the previous generation, uh, before Julius Caesar from this extremely bloody period of Roman history and really responsible for the, the vast, the, the largest amount of blood spilled is like really on Sulla's hands. And, and there's a scene that, uh, where Sulla is executing all of his enemies after he wins the civil war. And he is about to execute this young man who's sort of stood up to him and his friends say, no, 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 he's just a boy. Don't do that. He's just, you know, he can't hurt any, he can't hurt you now. And, and Sulla says, ah, you're a fool if you don't see a multitude of Mariuses in that boy. And Marius was his enemy. And this, and he was talking about this young Julius Caesar. So Sulla is this great villain. And I think in, in the episode one, especially of the Sulla biography, he turned, he turned me to his side um, because, you know, he, He's another kind of like unlikely leader and he 
um, was just such a charming, likable guy that nobody, when he was 30 years old, would ever suspect that he would go on to become this, arguably this butcher. But, you know, he had, he had, I had, you had to get into his, his motivations and his reasons for that. And so that's another one that really captured my imagination. But, you know, like I, like I often say, I, I'm a kind of a serial monogamist. I love them all the most when I'm with them, <laughs> working on each. I, uh, I'll, I'll echo what you said. I loved the Sola the biography. The Eumenes I loved as well. I also, you know, one of the things I love about Lysander, um, which I thought was really good as well, is it's funny. When you read about uh, ancient Greece, I think um, you get these uh, caricatures of the different city-states, right? Um, because they get compared to one another, right? So you got like right. the intellectual academic Athens versus the militaristic rigid Sparta. Right. And so my picture of Sparta was always one that was very one dimensional, very black and white. Right. As like the, the 300 Mm -hmm. version of Sparta, which is a pretty good movie, but like you see these guys and like all they're about, right. Is like, duty and war and so to see sparta like given all this color and realize that like oh the life of a spartan was much more interesting than that right and uh there were many more options and they experienced like uh the everything that life has to offer and Mm -hmm. um had all these competing motivations and just I, i don't know i loved the color that you brought to that story that i would not have guessed would have been there yeah lysander is another one of my favorites another guy that like when i was envisioning this project of going through all of Plutarch's lives. I'd already read the biography of Lysander kind of kind of quickly and was thinking, man, it's going to be hard to make people like this guy. But it wasn't actually. As I got in, it was like, God, this man is so fascinating and complex. And because uh, Lysander, you know, he defeats the Athenians. Um, it's this great upset victory. He defeats the Athenians at sea. And, you know, it's part of the land power. Athens is a sea power. And this is sweeping upset victory of, um, over the Athenians and he destroys their fleet and he, you know, he wins the war. He wins this 30 year Peloponnesian war for Sparta and he suffers. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say suffers actually. He he's tempted, let's say, because actually the, I think he does a good job of resisting it. There's this temptation that Spartans feel when they're abroad, when they're, uh, out in these cities where G- Greeks have, money you know spartans aren't allowed to have coins they have these these like rusty iron spits that they trade at home that's not legal tender anywhere else because their their famous lawgiver said no we're not going to have money at sparta it's going to it's going to make you effeminate and merchants instead of warriors and so but you know so when the spartans are abroad they're they're like subjected to these extreme temptations of wealth and power and and like i don't know just interesting art and i mean the whole world of culture that the athenians are celebrated for and they can appreciate a lot of them can really appreciate it and uh and they get a bad rap from inside sparta but but lysander you know i think at the end of the day i became convinced about him that he really and so he you know he's going around to these various greek cities and and installing pro-sparta oligarchies and he's just really good at getting the right people forcefully loyal to him personally, which is kind of unspartan. Uh, you're supposed to be loyal to, you know, the laws of Sparta, but he's doing it. He is ultimately doing it for the good of Sparta. You know, 
but he he does what works too and some of sparta's policies don't really translate well outside of sparta and this is like one of the kind of tragic aspects of sparta that like you know the they're they're called they're lions at home and foxes abroad you know um they're great in lacedaemon they're they're native land but but and they're they're so freedom loving and so kind of like you know they 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 want freedom for the greeks is this sort of famous moment of the 300 like they they're willing to lay down their lives for the freedom of all the greeks right but when they get abroad they're kind of these tyrannical overlords so this this is he he really embodies i think all those tensions um and and yet you know he lives you he, he gives you something to emulate too which i think is just really um one of the greatest parts I think that's one of the things, uh, you know, you talk about something to emulate. I think that's one of the things I love most about your your podcast is when I'm listening to it, it doesn't feel like I'm listening to ancient history, right? Mm. Uh, the characters feel so uh, so relatable, which they should, and you, you do a great job with that. I wanted to ask you about biography. And, you know, as, as someone who has studied this, uh, what is it that makes biography so powerful? I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do my podcast is I just, when I read the biography of, someone that I really admired and was very successful. I got this charge through my body is the only way I can explain it. I still get it when I read these biographies is why I do what I do. Right. I I love it, but I can't get anywhere else. You know, um, Mm -hmm. there's something about that, uh, that for me, uh, do you feel that same thing? What is it about biography that makes it so special and and resonate so much? Yeah, uh, I definitely feel that same feeling. So, yeah, the uh, the Greeks call this feeling zealos. Uh, it's actually where we get our word zeal. And I don't think that we really mean what they mean, what they meant when we say zeal. But zeal was brought into English to translate to, um, or to kind of like copy this Greek concept of zeal. And it's, you know, it's, this is like hundreds of years ago that this happened and it's kind of changed over the, over the years. But so zeal for the Greeks is... Well, Aristotle describes it as, okay, zeal is pain. It is felt when a man sees present in others who are like him by nature, good and honorable things, which he himself is capable of acquiring. That's a quote from Aristotle. So, so, so zeal is this feeling that you feel towards heroes, towards role models. And, and it comes I believe this is debated among philologists, but I think it's pretty clear. It comes from the word zeo in Greek, which means to boil. So it's like a, a steamy boiling feeling <laughs> inside, amazing. like right that around so your cool. midriff yeah, area. Yeah. And I yeah. think that really captures it, the feeling for me, that boiling towards like, ah, I want that. And and it, they see it as a positive thing. This is like the way that young men should feel about the great figures, you know? And, and the Greeks really ordered their society around producing zeal. And they thought it was like crucial. And, and it's, it's also what, what, what lies behind great works of art. You know, it's, it's um, the, the Romans translate it as uh, emulatio in Latin. Emulation is, that's where we get the word emulation. I, th- I don't think that our word emulation really captures everything about zeal. And I think also maybe emulation isn't such a, something that we... I don't know, celebrate so much in our culture, but, but they, they did for sure. And, um, and, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a creative drive, I think at the end of the day, 
and 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 uh, I'll say one more thing about zeal. So I don't know if I mentioned this, but I, I'm I'm writing a book about zeal because I think it's such a cool concept that we've lost touch with that is so powerful, um, and you can harness it. I think in your life, then you could get more of it to power you through and do great things. That's certainly what the Greeks thought, and uh, the Greeks, the ancient ancient Greek, the archaic ones, like the first. Greeks in the, in the sort of Western canon, this guy Hesiod, a poet um, who talked about the gods a lot. He, he said he, he called zeal a divine force of nature that Zeus needed as a tool, um, this like perso- personified zeal. He, he needed zeal as a tool or like an ally to overthrow the tyrannical chaotic order of his bad father Kronos. So zeal is also, it, they said, they, they thought that that same feeling that we feel towards heroes is also the feeling that where you think I could do a better job, you know? <laughs> so, and that's, that's, that's what Zeus needed to overthrow his father. He's like, I can do better than that. You know, like it's, so there's, there's a competitive aspect to it as well. Um, it reminds me productive. of Steve Jobs quote that one day you look around and realize that the whole world was built by people who were no smarter than you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Why not me too? Let's do this. Yeah. 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 It's that feeling. I, I, I love that etymology of it coming from the word boil. Cause I think that perfectly captures the emotion of it. Of you, you, you mentioned pain, Aristotle mm-hmm. describing it as pain. It's like that combination of like this excitement combined with this anxiety that you're yeah. not doing more yourself and this, this competitive fire right? Uh, and, and like a, a boiling, I think is a very good way to express the sort of the physiological yeah. f- feeling that you it's get that, from it. It's that feeling that makes you go, ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you're excited, but you're also, yeah, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it reminds me of, of, you know, Edison and, and Julius Caesar is probably, probably the most famous, uh, story of this, right? <clears throat> Perhaps apocryphal, but of him in Spain and seeing the statue of Alexander the Great and saying, oh man, I'm the same age Alexander was and I haven't done anything with my life. Like, I gotta get back to Rome. I gotta run for consul. I gotta get this this show on the road because he gets this feeling of of uh, of zeal. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally think that that's, that's gotta be a true story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you said, like, uh, I think you mentioned this, Edison was a figure, an object of zeal for a lot of entrepreneurs like Tesla, not exactly an entrepreneur, but kind of, yeah, Steve Jobs. And I mean, um, Elon Musk talks about really admiring Edison when he was a kid. And so like, this is something that really fires. It's, 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 it's Im- there's an imitative aspect, but it's a creative aspect again. Um, and it challenges you to do great things. And Edison himself, you know, he really, He's always a smart kid, right? And he's doing well as a telegraph operator, but it's when he reads a biography of um, Faraday. What's his first name? Uh, Michael Faraday? Michael Faraday, uh, yeah. That he uh, he has this moment where he realizes he's not doing anything close to what Faraday has done. Yeah. And he said, "That's uh, what, what was his sentence? He said, I decided right then that I was going to hustle uh, <laughs> to try and catch up to Faraday, which I always found to be an, an incredible story. Okay, so... Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about what people can expect uh, going forward. So we're going to run some of your episodes in How to Take Over the World. A lot of people get on me for not producing more content. Mm-hmm. And I think that the cost of glory is 
more than up to par uh, on the level of, of how to take over the world. And for those who have worked their way through my library and are looking for more, I think this is a, a great way for people to to get more, more biography, more of this feeling of, of zeal, more um, more stories of the lives of, of great men throughout history. What uh, what do you see as kind of um, the, the the purpose of combining forces, and, and what do you hope to, to see out of this? Yeah, I I definitely um, you know recommend my listeners when they when they ask you know where can I get more because I have a similar problem you know it takes a while to put these things together and um, to 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 go check out your stuff um, I I think that we we both I'm excited about partnering because we both just have this goal of like bringing more yeah zeal worthy content to people trying to do trying to, you know, do hard things and, and, and achieve. And, uh, and, you know, I, there's so much good stuff out there. There's so many inspiring stories and so many like people of great accomplishments that you can, that you can use as material to, to fuel your own journey. And uh, I was just listening to a, an interview with, uh, Brian Johnson, uh, on the, uh, my first million podcast, which, you know, you've kind of put me onto, and, you know, he talks about as a kid, he read hundreds of biographies and it's not like you need one person to emulate, you need like a whole library of people. And I think the fact, like, I'm, I'm really thrilled at the possibility of building out that library and Plutarch's lives is like kind of one of the originary texts in this. And I think a great tradition of, of Western biography, uh, well, of biography, of human biography. Um, and, uh, and like there's, there's a trans historical aspect. It's great to get modern figures. It's great to get ancient figures, everybody in between. There's, you know, um, I, 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 I think that there's just like so much we can do to, to, to magnify our forces by, yeah, partnering. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, um, that you brought up all those biographies. It it makes me think too of, uh, Laszlo Polgar, this guy who, raises all three of his daughters to be these, these chess geniuses, and he gets obsessed with genius. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading through his, his, I don't know if it's a book, it's a very, very short book, I guess you would call it, uh, called Raise a Genius. And he got interested in, in genius education. How do you educate someone to be a genius? And he says, he read, I think it was like 900 biographies <laughs> of great people. And... Um, I mean, I guess it worked, right? Because yeah, it comes right. the educational system that, uh, that the, his three daughters become three of three of the greatest women's chess champions of all. And, time. and not just that, clear, right? What was that? that? Not just chess, right? Like they they did other things that were impressive too. Extremely, extremely impressive table. Uh, all three of them were were chess champions. They're also very good swimmers, near Olympic level swimmers, and um, and table tennis players. And uh, even those that didn't continue to play chess were gifted artists. They spoke like five or six languages. Uh, and also, miraculously, besides that, just like happy, well-adjusted people. Like, yeah. wow, you can have it all, right? <laughs> um, but it just makes me think like, okay, 900. So the, the limit, I guess, to where you like stop getting positive returns is way up there, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, if you think to yourself, ah, I've read I've done 10 biographies of people I really admire. Maybe I'm, I'm running out of juice here. Like, no, 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 there's way more juice there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's not, it's not, uh, I don't think that there's diminishing returns on this because it's just more fuel. 
uh, it's like gasoline. And I think there's a multiplicative effect um, where, you know, you just, your brain craves more experienced data. And the more you have to draw on, the more options you have. And I think it's, yeah, it's accretive for sure. So I like 900 as a, as a, as a target to hit. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I'll close up shop. When I've done 900 biographies, you can expect uh, the the feed to end for how to take over. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Alex, anything else before we, we wrap up? Um, you know, I think the, the future's bright. Great. Stay tuned. uh, Uh, there are episodes, uh, you know, in my feed right now of uh, of the Cost of Glory, and make sure to to check him out on his own feed as well. Go uh, find the Cost of Glory wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show; it's terrific. I can't recommend it any more highly. You uh, can also out. look it up at ancientlifecoach.com. That's my website. Perfect, yeah. and a great, just a great domain name, ancientlifecoach.com. Uh, kudos on that. Um, Great. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, until next time. Thanks, guys. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.